So my first overseas mission trip ever was to Malawi, Africa. And I'm going to fast forward this story a little bit. Like I would love to tell you everything that happened in Africa and all the experiences. That'll be another sermon for another day. But I want to fast forward to the final two days. In the final two days, they said, we're going to go to a national park. I didn't know what that meant, National Park. But what it meant was we had to get in this little sketchy boat, and we had to go down the river to try to get to the camp. The camp was called Mbu Camp, M-V-U-U, Mbu Camp. And so you get in the sketchy boat, and you start down the river. And as you're going down the river, you realize your boat is way better than the dugout canoes that the other guys are in, right? And so you're thankful for your boat, and you wave to the guys in the canoes, and then you look over at the crocodiles, and you wave to the crocodiles, and there's elephants over here, and you say hi to the elephants. And then, look at this. You have to weave your way around the hippos, because the hippos, like, right out in the middle. This really is just like the boat I was on. See, it says Mbu Camp. And so anyway, you have these hippos, then you have to dodge the hippos because you just see eyes and these little floppy ears up in the air, and so you don't want to hit the hippos. So you go around the hippos. And then finally, I didn't even know what to expect, but we got to the camp, and it looked something like this. How cool is this? This is where we were. Check out this picture. Like this, this was the setting. Like this really, I went online and I was like, boot camp. And then as I looked at the picture, I'm like, yeah, that's what I was there. Like that was it. And, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to fast forward the story because we got chased by elephants. For real, the elephants were angry and they were chasing at us. And the croc, I almost, I really almost got eaten by a crocodile. I, I was like, I was probably this far, me to Amy, and I didn't even realize he was there. I'll tell you that story sometime. Like, he, he could have eaten me. Like, he was that close. I didn't even know he was there when he jumped in the river. But I want to go to the part where after dinner, they said, who wants to go on a walking safari, but you have to wake up really early in the morning. Do we have anyone interested in a walking safari? I'm like, yes. I'm in Africa. I want to go. Like, I, I can sleep when I'm dead. I want to go. I'm in Africa. I'm going on. I don't even know what that means, walking safari, but I want to do that, you know. And so we got up really early. The next day is a small group because after a couple weeks worth of mission trip, people were tired, y'all. They didn't want to go, but I'm like, I'm going. And so a very small group of us went, and there was a guy. He may have been this tall. He may not have been, but he was, he's a little bitty fellow, a little bitty Malawi man. I wish I could remember his name. I don't remember his name, but I remember he had a great big gun. A huge gun. At this point, I'd already been chased by elephants, almost died from the crocodile. So I knew, like, I'm going to follow the guy with the big gun. Like, I'm going to stay right next to him. I'm in Africa. Things can eat me here. I'm staying next to the guy with the big gun. So as we're walking, he's telling stories. You know, and he's like, over here, I can tell the rhinos have been here. See how the trees are all knocked down? Like, rhinos came through here, and that electrified fence keeps them right there where they're supposed to be instead of attacking us. Like, we're freaked out by the rhinos. And over here, these are elephants. Elephants have been over here. I can tell elephants. And we, we were looking at a lot of poo, just so you know. Like, that's really what walking safari meant. We were looking... <laughs> at the poo. And so he's like, this is an elephant versus a, a hippo, you know, over here. And so as we're going, I'm asking this guy questions. Like, are there lions? You know, I wanted to know that. I wanted to get that out of the way. Are there? No, there's no lions here. But he starts to tell me how he's tracked the lions before in Kenya. And the lions then tracked him and they were hunting him and that scared him. And I'm like, yeah, that would scare me too. And so as we're talking, I wanted to know the hippo. Like, because we looked at that's elephant poo and this is this is hippo poo, and I'm like, I, I just want to know, are hippos, because I'm seeing them everywhere, are they, are they dangerous? I said, ornery. Are they ornery? And he looked at me like, I don't know what you said to me. And so I'm like, well, are they mean? You know, are hippos aggressive? 
And so he tells me the story. He goes, you know, one time, hippo, hippo normally stay in water. This time, hippo, out of water. And I'm not trying to be like that was Roy Howe. It was just really aggressive English. And I'm not going to do that voice anymore that he did. But anyway, that's the voice that he was doing. So he was telling me the story that normally hippos will stay in the water, right? But early in the morning or late in the evening, like you saw from the picture earlier, they'll, they'll come out of the water, right? They'll come out of the water and they'll walk around and eat grass. And he said this guy kept getting, he had his camera, he kept getting closer and closer to this hippo. They were on walking safari. And so I'm like, I'm tuned in, you know, I'm listening. And he's like, this guy kept getting closer and closer with his camera. He says, and I told him, don't go too close to hippo. Hippo, hippo, not nice. Don't go too. And he goes, the guy kept getting closer and closer and closer. If your kids are in the room, I'm so sorry, but this is really what happened. He goes, and then hippo, bite man's arm off. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what I did. I froze, and I'm like, like I quit walking. And so he quit walking. He looked at me. I'm like, what does that mean? Bit man's arm off. Like, like he nibbled him? Like, did he just like, he did with his lips? You know, what it, and he goes, no, bite man's arm off, arm on the ground, a bit man's arm off. And I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I'm from Oklahoma at this time, which will explain my next question. I'm like, did you shoot him? Not the man, the elephant? And he, or the, the hippo? Sorry, Amy's correcting me. I'm too excited in my story. <laughs> did you shoot the hippo? And he goes, no, I told men, don't go too close to hippo. Hippo do nothing wrong. And I'm like, well, <laughs> well what, did the, what did the hippo do? And the best part was when he was like, Hippo run away, you know, the way he does. And um, here's the deal, church. Sometimes, sometimes we should lead, and sometimes we really ought to listen, right? Sometimes we lead, sometimes we listen. And I, what, I, what I love is I, I think there's often times in our lives that we're doing both at the same time. I think we have to. There's areas where you need to be listening to what's going on. There's areas where you need to be leading. And whether you realize it or not, I have a feeling that for so many of you, there are people watching you right now as a leader in how they should respond in their faith journey. There are people watching you and how they should respond to their faith journey. And that's what's so awesome about the text today. The text today is going to speak both to listening as well as to leading. Again, welcome to Woodside Bible Church, everyone. I'm Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor. And if you're joining us for the first time, let me just call a timeout and say thank you for being here and let you know that I get it. Like, I understand how much courage it takes just to pull up in the parking lot. Takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Like it's a scary thing going to a new church. It's just it just is because you never know. Are they weird or they? You know you just don't know. So you pull up in the parking lot, and then to go from your car to inside also takes a lot of courage. And then you get to the lobby, and there's not enough room, so it's it's just chaos. And just what I'm trying to say is I'm I'm really glad you're here, and I understand what it took for you to get here, and we don't take that for granted. So thank you for being here. You came right in the middle of a sermon series. We, um, as a church, we're focusing in on the Old Testament prophet of Samuel. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be in chapter 7 today. Let me set the stage for everyone from where we left off. This is a time in Israel's history where it is a dark season, and I mean dark spiritually, right? These were not people who were following after God. Israel was supposed to be this kingdom of priests. The problem is the leaders of Israel at the time, their priests were morally bankrupt individuals. They were so self-consumed. They were so self-absorbed. The Bible says that these were worthless men, and it's in that setting that hope comes through the prophet 
Samuel. He does the same thing in our lives, right? Even when it seems hopeless, oftentimes that's where the Lord does something incredible in our lives, right? That's when something awesome starts to happen. And so Samuel comes, and we've been following this story from the time before he was even born, right, church? From before he was born to time he was a little boy to last week he was this young man. And as a young man, God started to pull young Samuel in. He started to pull him toward himself. And we got to watch as he went from a young man to a prophet. Today, what's going to happen? I'm just going to tell you the end of the story right now because it's awesome. Today, what we're going to see is we're going to see Israel's in a tough spot. And they listen to Samuel. What a prophet does, a prophet hears from the Lord and then communicates truth to the people and basically says there's rightness and there's wrongness. Normally it's going to be there's rightness, you better follow that path or there's going to be punishment. Like that's the two options. There's, there's not really any other options. It's, it's one or the other. And so Samuel is going to give the people this kind of a message and they do what's right. Okay, you didn't respond. Listen, this is a big deal, church. This is huge because Israel never does what's right. Just so you know, they're like us. What they do, they hear from the Lord and what they're supposed to do, and they go, squirrel, you know, they're gone. They, they just, they're distracted. They're off chasing something else. But what we find today is awesome. In fact, I wish this could be, I wish we could have some foundation stones of Scripture saying we want to be founded on this and this. This is one of those passages because this is one of those passages that says we're going to hear from the Lord and we're going to do what he says to to do. This is one of those passages that I wish we could just take at the forefront of our mind and continue it for generations to come, which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea, the one thing I want you to remember above everything else is this. A godly leader promotes true worship in God's people. A godly leader promotes true worship in God's people. When I say true worship, I don't, I don't just mean the songs we sing from up here. I, I don't just mean that. I mean that place where you say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His ways never change. And I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's my spiritual act of worship. I'm going to take everything I am, and I'm going to say, Lord, here it is, all of me. I'm offering. So that means I'm going to get some junk out of my life to align my life with what you've called me to. That's what I mean by worship, by true worship. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want in your family? Not, not just your immediate family, but your extended family too, where the weird ones are, right? I mean, I mean right there. When you, look at your, when you look at your community, isn't that what we want from our community? Isn't that really what we want for our culture, for our nation? I, I think that sometimes we make the mistake, though, thinking we want people to behave. We want people to straighten up and fly right. We want them to dress correctly. We want, I think sometimes we start to say what we're after is behavior. We're not after behavior, church. We want worship. We want this place where we align our hearts with God's hearts. And again, remember, there's times you need to listen. There's times that you're going to lead. And when it comes to leadership in your home, in your community, in this church, we want to lead people to be true worshipers. And to do that, there's three ways. First, First, you're going to need to see God's worth. You want to lead like he's called you to? You're going to see God's worth. Let's look at the word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to start with verses 3 through 6, but keep your finger right there because we're going to come back. The word of God says this. It says, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth, 
from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered at Mizpah, and they drew water, and they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted on that day, and they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now this, this is important. I forgot a detail. We finished with chapter 3 last week, and now we're in chapter 7. In chapter 4, something major happened. The Philistines went to war against Israel and won. Okay, the Philistines are the arch nemesis of Israel at this point. It would, it would be like, imagine, if you will, if the enemy of the United States, and I'm not going to name any country, you just picture the country in your head, our arch nemesis, whoever that is, picture our arch nemesis invading our soil tomorrow and whooping us. Like, I mean, the Canadians come over and they just <laughs> lay it to us, right? Like, just stay with me here. Like, like can, you imagine, can you imagine the turmoil that so many would feel come Sunday, right? And that's, that's really the condition of, of Israel at this point. And yet they're looking at Samuel and they're saying, Samuel, we recognize you as our prophet. We know that because we read it last week. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20, it says, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Which is it's huge. Because this it says it's not one city, it's not one family, it's not one tribe, but all of Israel. It's like that Lee Greenwood song back in the day. You guys remember the song, right? Where he goes, From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee. As I like this part. Across the plains of Texas. From sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston. I'll stop there. There's a reason I'm not on the worship team. What, what Lee is saying, Lee is saying all across, God bless the USA. From the tippy top to the bottom, from coast to coast, God bless the USA, right? That's what that song is trying to say as he's going through all the geographic locations. That's what scripture's doing right here. From Dan to Beersheba means from the tippy top to the very bottom and everything in between. Everyone recognized Samuel as the prophet, which is monstrous because then this passage starts with what? With he spoke this message to all the house of Israel. Everybody. Those who are part of the group, those who aren't part of the group, like everybody, he is speaking this message. And the message he brings is powerful because it's the same message that Jesus Christ starts with in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. In Mark 1, 15, you know what Jesus does? He comes and he says this. He says, repent. Repent. So oftentimes we look at that word as an ugly church word, don't we? But it's not. It's not an ugly church word. It's beautiful. Here's what it means. It means take all that junk in your heart that's weighing and pulling you down, that's distracting you from the Lord. Cut that stuff out and turn. The word literally means to turn and turn towards the Lord. Right? That's what Jesus, his first words, Mark 1, 15, first thing he says, look at what Samuel says. He says, if you are returning to the Lord. So if you're repenting, if you're turning, if you're returning to the Lord, if you're doing that repentance thing, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away, he says, the foreign gods of Ashtaroth. Then it says they put away the bells and the Ashtaroth. Let me clean this up. 
If you um, have been reading your Bible a long time, you're like, yeah, I'm tracking. You know, I'm all over this. And if you haven't, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what you said. So Ashtaroth is the plural form of Ashtoreth. There you go. Cleared it up. <laughs> Moving on. No, there's more to it. There's more to it. I mean, that, that was true. It was a grammar joke. But, but that was really true. Ashtoreth was this goddess that was worshipped in all the neighboring countries around Israel. She was the goddess of fertility and of love and of war, which makes so much sense. Because back in that day, if you wanted to defeat the country next to you, you need to build the population of your country because if we send more people to fight than what they have, our chances greatly increase that we're going to be able to defeat them. Does that make sense? So they're worshiping this goddess of fertility, of love, and of war. And then the Baals, Baal isn't a goddess. He's a, he's, he's a god. And he would be the god of the sun and the storms. And both, this is so important, both were energized by demonic spirits. And when you go to Palestine today and you watch historians and archaeologists on their digs, what you're going to find is all throughout the Bronze and Iron Ages, they have countless examples of plaques and statues and vases with these naked women on them that's really a collection of their Ashtoreth, which is exactly what Samuel's talking about. Because all of a sudden, Israel... Israel's not watching what the other nations do and what their cults are doing and worshiping these gods, but they've started to adopt the practice themselves. And Samuel says, you've got to stop that. You've got to turn to the Lord because you're breaking the very first commandment. The very first commandment of God says you should have no other gods before me. And you, you are breaking that. You're messing up before we even get started. You are so far off track. He says, put those idols away and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And then he says, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, Samuel, Samuel right here is saying, I want you to understand God's worth. That's not often what we do, is it? Oftentimes what we do is we don't see God's worth. We see his usefulness. Do you understand how those are different? Like, they're, they're so different. For those of you that don't, like, my generation and down, sometimes we struggle with it, you know, because we have Facebook and, and our Instagrams and our LinkedIns. You know, on LinkedIn, pay attention. When you connect with someone, it doesn't say you're now friends. It doesn't have anything to do with friendship, does it? It has to do with networking together. And maybe this will make more sense. Back in the day, people used to invite Amy and I to dinner. When we would go over to dinner, we would think to ourselves, like, they, they won't get to know us. Like, we're going to have friends, we're going to do this stuff, and then they would try to sell us Tupperware. Like, is that, maybe that's never happened to you. And I hate Tupperware. We've already talked about that. Like, I don't like the Tupperware. And so they would try to sell me something, and then I would walk away feeling, like, used. Has that ever, maybe it hasn't happened to you. Like, I just felt like, man, they didn't, they didn't really value me. They just, they want my money, you know? And that, that's how, and I think that's what we do with God. We see Israel doing that with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, that's exactly what happened. If you're not familiar, here's here we went down. The Philistines won. The Philistines, the bad guys, beat Israel. But Israel at this point, they're not paying attention to God. They're not surrendering to God. They're not submitting to God. And then they said this. They said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let me translate that. The translation would be, it's God's fault we lost. Why did God do that? 
It's not just ancient Israel that I'm talking about, is it? We do that sometimes. God, why? Why did this happen? Why? But you know what they did? Instead of turning to God right here, you know what they did? They said, we have this great idea. We're not going to ask God. We don't care if it's insulting to God. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to take it to the battlefield at Shiloh. Now, if you're new to church, Ark of the Covenant is not the boat with the animals. Ark of the Covenant is this. It's this, it's this box. It's the mercy seat of the Lord, right? And inside, inside the Ark, you, you have the rod in there. You have the, the bowl of manna, right? That jar of manna. You have the two stone tablets from the Ten Commandments, which we will talk about a lot more in the fall. We're going to do a deep dive into that topic. But here's the important part. The Ark represented the glory of God to all of Israel. And so the people, by taking the ark down to the battlefield, here's what they were saying. Whether God wants to help us or not, when we take the glory of God to Israel, when we take the ark down to the battlefield, he won't have a choice. He's going to have to do what we want him to do. You see the difference in worth and usefulness? Isn't that what we do? We have things that we get bogged down by, like poverty, loneliness, fear, anxiety, confusion, illness. And maybe you've never done this, but I've seen people who have done this. Those things start to sink in. I haven't been following the Lord. I haven't been trusting the Lord. But when those things start to sink in, we start to come to that place of saying, I can't believe God. How dare God do that? And then, and then we have this posture of we're angry and we're bitter. We're upset at God. Let me just tell you, that's a dangerous place to go. Here's why it's dangerous. Because if you're not careful, you start to make faith all about God doing what you want, when you want, how you want, which really makes you God, doesn't it? Church, let me just tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. Such a dangerous place to be. There's a difference in understanding usefulness and looking at God like he's useful and he's there as your, as your divine butler and understanding the worth, the holiness, the beauty the majesty of Almighty God. And when Samuel spoke that day, the people understood the worth of God. And church, when you understand the worth of God, it drives you to this next point, point two. You're going to crave God's deliverance. You're going to crave God's deliverance. Look back at Scripture, starting in verse 7. It says, Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. They attacked. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. In verse 9, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. So a moment ago, I said true worship sees and values God's worth, right? Not his usefulness, but, but his worth. But here's what I love. Those things happen in life, don't they? 
And maybe you're at a place right now where you're like, well, everything's good. Hang on. Like, if you just hang on, the things start to happen. And in that worst possible situation, that's the place where God loves to show up. I want you to know that. God loves to show up at that place. We know because Scripture tells us. Psalm 50, 15 says, this is God talking, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Did you hear this? So that says, when you're in that place of loneliness, the thing that you don't necessarily need is a man or a woman in your life. When you're in that place of poverty, it's not really money that you need. When you're in that place of illness, it's not necessarily doctors that you need. Now, we love the fact that the Lord has given doctors and nurses wisdom, don't we? We praise him for that. We are thankful that oftentimes he uses money or people as a vehicle in the things in our life. But we want to be people who constantly go and say, Lord, we are trusting you for our deliverance. You're the one who's going to deliver us. You're the one who's going to rescue us. And what I love is that's exactly what Israel does. That's exactly the point. Look what they said. The Philistines are on the prowl, but Israel doesn't stop and say, hey, Lord, will you, will you give us another ark? They stole the last one. You know, will you just will you send an ark? That'd be great. That's not what they say. They don't say strategy. If I'm a strategist, you know what I'm asking for? Lord, if you send money, I can hire these mercenaries, and they can come in, and they can whoop the Philistines. So that'd be great. Just, just give me some money, Lord. That's probably, I mean, I'm just telling you, like, that's probably what I would pray. But that's not, that's not what they said. Look what they said. This is so good. They went to Samuel, and they said, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Isn't that sweet? Even in the midst of the unthinkable, they're coming, and they've already beat us once. We're going to stop, and we're going to say, Samuel, we pray to the Lord our God for us. That's our plan. No plan B. I don't, I don't have a plan B. That's all I got. We, we, we do that. So as a leader, how do you do that? How do, how do, you, how do you help other people trust in his deliverance? How, how does that work? How does it look? Because oftentimes what we do is when things are good, we kind of just dust our hands and we just go off and do whatever we want to do. And when things are bad, well, then we come and we start to pray. And if God doesn't immediately answer, then we get angry because, well, he didn't care about our happiness. And doesn't he care about our happiness? The answer is not really. That's not really the goal of life is, is happiness. But that's where we start to get bitter. Here's how you do it. Here's how you trust in the deliverance without the posture of I'm wanting to puff myself up. It's all about timing. Didn't you see that in Scripture? It's all about timing. What I want you to notice is between chapters 4 and chapter 7, all of a sudden there's this time of peace. That's that place that they started to trust the Lord. That's that place that they went to Samuel and said, Samuel, uh, pray for us, pray with us. Like that's, that's what we're after. They started to trust him right there in that time when everything was good. Then when everything went awful, when it started to fall apart, they still trusted in the Lord. They didn't waver. In your life, I want you to know here's what it looks like. Things are good right now. That's awesome. We give you some opportunities at Woodside to grow in your faith in that place. That's what neighborhood groups, that's what it's all about. Neighborhood group. A neighborhood group is that place where you get to have a relationship 
with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You have relationships with them. You grow as you study the word together, and then you intentionally go and serve in the community together, right? So there's an in, out, and up. You're going and serving the community together, right? We also give you these devotional booklets. We want you individually studying the Word of God on your own throughout the week, not just when things are falling apart, but even when it's good. We want you studying the Word all throughout the week. The point is, you should be at that place of saying, God, when things are good, I'm going to worship you because I see your worth, and I know that you're going to bring deliverance even when it's good. And Lord, when things are not so good, I still see your worth. I'm not calling out to you simply because I want to use you. I'm calling out to you because I know you're the only one who can bring deliverance in this. And when that's where you end up, the final place is you can come to a place where you affirm God's favor. Affirm, affirm means you're going to celebrate. You're, you're going to have thanks, thanksgiving in your heart for God's favor. Look at verse 12 through 14. Scripture says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between, now let me just pause real fast. Just as a reminder, the Lord showed up. They beat the Philistines. The Philistines are on the run. The men of Israel are chasing them and beating on them as they're chasing them. And it's in this scene that it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. This is so cool. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. Then the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Do you see what Samuel does here? What he does, there's been this great victory so he goes right out to the middle of the battlefield, or the victory field in this case, right? Goes right out to where the battle was fought, and he lifts up this big stone, and he sets it there. And he says, we're going to call this stone Ebenezer. Ebenezer, which means stone of help or stone of the helper. It means until now, the Lord has helped us. Till now, meaning in this time, in this place. In a way we can't explain, this is where the Lord did something on our behalf. Isn't that cool? Well, we do that, right? We set up monuments. If you go to Washington, D.C., they're all over the place. These monuments that say we, we had this battle, we had this war here. There's a difference. Instead of the names of the fallen being written on this stone that Samuel set up, there's only one name, and it's the name of the living God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that awesome? In your life, can I just say you have some Ebenezer's? You, do. you have areas in your life where the Lord has moved on your behalf in ways you can't explain. You want me to prove it? Think in your own mind right now. Is there a time that you could have died, but you didn't? And yet here you are. Think of everything it took just for all of us to be together this morning. Think about everything that had to happen just for us to be here this morning. You either believe that that was just chance, it just happened, it's just like, woo, just throw up the cards and see what happens. You know, they all land perfectly in the deck. Or you believe that God is at work. Ebenezer, he did something on our behalf that can't be explained. But unfortunately, I think we forget I, I do. I think we forget and we start to think like, well, it's because I did this or I, it's my hard work or we think it was chance. But that's why the New Testament reminds us. 
Paul, in Philippians 1.6, he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus. Do you hear how powerful that is? Here's what it says. Let me say it again. He who began a good work in you, meaning a pastor did not start the good work in you. I did not start a good work in you. I had nothing to do with that. That's the Lord. The Lord was the one who started a good work in you. And he will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus. Meaning, I I can't cross the finish line for you. I can't do that. You can't do it on your own. It is through the power of God working through you that you're going to cross that finish line. Isn't that awesome? But what we do is we get so distracted with what I would call self-made salvation. We forget about grace. And what we do is we go to self-made salvation looks like this. And man, it stresses people out. It's when you wake up in the morning and you say, I feel such a burden to be perfect. My looks have to be perfect. My health has to be perfect. My home has to look perfect. My business, I've got to win. I've got to beat all those other businesses. And to where you say, my kids, they better behave perfectly. They just, why? Why do we do that? Well, we say, because people have expect. who people? What people have expectations? What well, might be yourself? It might be the person in the mirror. It might be your spouse. It might be the relatives. It might be society. But all of a sudden, we put all this junk on our back and try to achieve something that you can never achieve. So we end up with a nation full of people who are so anxious and stressed out with life. And that's not what you're called to, church. We are called to freedom in Christ Jesus. It is when, again, that whole repent, when you turn from that junk that's weighing your heart down and you turn to God and you say, by the grace of Jesus on the cross for me, that's that beautiful place of freedom. And that's where you get to say, there are some Ebenezers in my life. And so I just want to leave us with this. What are the Ebenezers? in your life, because maybe you've been going for a season and you, you just quit thinking about it. There's a lot of ways that you can remember what God has done on your behalf, isn't there? Maybe you have a garden and you physically, honestly, maybe not today because it's rainy, but this next week or two, maybe you need to set some stones up. You need to pile up stones and you just need to say, even if no one else in the world knows what this means, I know what this means. God, you did this on my behalf and I'm not going to forget. I will never forget how it was you who did this work. Maybe you physically need to stack some stones up in your life. Maybe it's not stone stacking you need to do. Maybe it's journaling. You know, when I went to Malawi, so much happened. I, I can't possibly remember. There's no way. Just how much happened in a day. We would have to, end at the end of the day, debrief together because so much took place in one day. And I would just journal everything. You know why I journaled it? Ebenezer. God, this is what you did. I don't, don't want to forget it. I, I just don't want to forget where you moved on my behalf in a way that I didn't deserve. You're the one who brought deliverance, Lord. And maybe it's with all the technology tools we have. Maybe you take Instagram, and I'm being being serious right now. Maybe you take Instagram, and you're able to take a picture of the sunset, or maybe you're able to take a picture of something happening in nature. Maybe it's of your family. Maybe it's of yourself. I don't know. And even if the rest of the world doesn't realize, you're able to say, Lord, right there, Ebenezer. Look at that photo. I'm not going to forget because I captured it right there in that scene. Ebenezer. I don't know what it is for you. 
But I think as a church, we need to continue to lay that foundation that says, I'm never going to forget God. I'm never going to forget because you're worthy. You're the one who brings deliverance and you're worthy. So if you want to lead, back to the hippo, there's times to listen and there's times to lead. And whether you realize it or not, right now you are in the process of leading. People are watching you. They are paying attention to your faith journey and they are getting their cues from you. One of the most powerful things you can do is continue to point them to the truth that the Lord is worthy. Not useful. He's worthy. That he's the one who brings deliverance. And when he does bring deliverance, continue to show the world around you what it looks like to celebrate. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here because I am... God, I oftentimes get up here and I I joke about things like crocodiles or hippos or uh, driving underneath semi-trucks, and uh, it's not a joke. God, I'm here because of your grace. I'm here because you've put breath in my lungs. So I just pray as a church that we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, Lord, with everything we do, we do it to bring you honor and glory. Father, I pray for the men in this, women in this room who um, need to stack some stones in their life because we've been living like salvation comes from ourselves, but we need the reminders. Lord, we need the reminders that it's you who brings the salvation. Lord, I pray for us to listen well. I pray for us to lead well. As we lead, I pray that we continue to read our word. That you continue to show us truth. And we have the courage to live it out. To rearrange our lives. To align with what your word tells us to do. And Lord, let us love people. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to love in a way that people continue to see you and how worthy you are. In Jesus' name we pray.